Good afternoon, everybody. This is the Reverend Blake Ruby from San Antonio. How are you doing today? I hope well. It's been a long week, I think, for me. How about you? Here in San Antonio, I'm looking out into the backyard, and it's cloudy. The sun's gone down, it looks like. I can't see the sun anywhere right now. I did a little while ago, but the sun is going down later every night. And what that means is... Spring is almost here in southwest Texas. In this part of the country, usually around mid-February, the trees will start to bud, and spring comes early. You know, March the 21st, not here in Texas. And other places in up north, yes, of course. I went to a Toastmasters meeting this afternoon at this one pub called the Thirsty Pup. And it was our Toastmasters club that meets once a month called Cheers. So we'll be talking, you know, public speaking and holding up our glasses and saying cheers, except I don't drink. I was drinking a Coca-Cola today. The first time I had a Coke in years and years and years, but they didn't have any ginger ale, which I like to drink sometimes. Mostly I drink water. But anyway, I was reading about the Chinese New Year. So today is the birthday of the New Year, the beginning of the Chinese New Year. And what does that mean? It means that in China, it's being celebrated. It's a 16-day celebration. Over there in China, they get eight days off to celebrate. And they celebrate by getting a haircut, also cleaning out their homes, and they sweep out their homes before midnight. Good luck. And they give cash gifts to each other in red envelopes. Red is supposed to red is supposed to symbolize prosperity and good luck. They eat dumplings, which is supposed to symbolize financial success, symbolizes financial success. And it's the beginning of their spring season over there also. Now up north it gets pretty cold this time of year, even up until about May. When I lived in Canada, you runs in Canada, and that was six years from to 68. Actually, I lived in Oromocto for three years, and I was really young. I was overseas, and he came back and lived in and from 62 to 68 and I could tell every grade I was in in Canada in the 60s because the last year was the grade I was in so 62 I was in the second grade 68 I was in the eighth grade and it was pretty cool a beautiful area there it gets cold though in the winter time but very beautiful very nice the fields behind our backyard. We used to go run and play in them in the springtime. The flowers were everywhere. I used to walk to school. It was a, uh, maybe an mile away from I come home from watching and go back and walk into the field. It was a toboggan hill. And there was a patch of wild strawberries in my mind's eye. I remember I used to go over there. Not too big strawberries, maybe about the size of your thumbnail or larger and then in July I can my in my mind's eye remember where they were the raspberry patch and the blackberry patch and and in August the blueberries came out and they were right behind our backyard a little bit over to the right and then of course in the autumn there were apple trees everywhere with these delicious natural apples you know wild apples very delicious. And then in the winter, there was this toboggan hill we used to go. I mean, from my backyard, you could see it over in the distance. And I would see in the wintertime snowmobiles driving around, the yellow skidoos, the blue snow cruises. And I just wished, oh, I wanted so badly to have my own, us to have our own snowmobile because it looked like so much fun. And a lot of snow, of course, and White Christmases, my mother used to paint our living room 
was an excellent painter, could have been professional. In fact, she had a portrait of me put into an art gallery in downtown Fredericton. It's called The Golden Boy. My mother never really expected to have me because she was cold and that she couldn't bear children because she had some kind of pelvic injury and it, she wasn't getting pregnant either. I'm not sure of all the details and she isn't here for me to ask her, but suffice it to say that my parents adopted my sister in 1952. My sister, I love her very much. God bless my sister. She is there in Seattle surviving with her son, Max. And she's hanging in there tough. She has some health issues. But anyway, my parents adopted her. And then two years later, I came along unexpectedly. And so I'm grateful to have my sister still. My parents passed away in 1999. I was embarrassed. We moved to Halifax, Nova Scotia after one year. And then, as I mentioned, we moved to Ormoc, and my dad was with the Canadian Army, and then he was stationed overseas for two years in three different places, one year each, Hamer and Zoist. And then we came back to New Brunswick, and we lived in Fredericton, or Nashwaxis, alongside the beautiful blue St. John River. And we lived on a hill, an avenue called Avenue. And we had this nice little three-bedroom house. And as I was saying, my mother, she was an excellent artist, and she painted this living room window every Christmas, you know, with some nativity And I can remember some Christmases waking up in the middle of the night, you know, Christmas Eve, and looking down the hallway and seeing the Christmas tree and all the gifts underneath it. What a beautiful time that was. Truly, that was one of the happiest times in my life, those six years in Nashua Sis, because as a young boy growing up, be able to run in the fields. Remember when we were young, we used to run everywhere and we were happy. You know, we were racing each other. Hey, I'll race you over there, always running around, smiles on our faces. And then somehow, somewhere, somebody told us to stop running. Stop running. Walk. Stop running. And they took that happiness and that joy right away from us. You know, we were happy as children, weren't we? We weren't morose and uh, serious, lackluster kids growing up. We were happy. You see pictures of children always running around and so happy. There's some at work, you know, children, just beautiful smiles painted on their faces because they're running around, you know. Running is good for you. Maybe not a lot. I mean, you don't have to run a lot to be happy. You don't have to run a marathon. You don't even have to run a mile a day. You know, you can run just a little bit. You know, push your body. Your body will thank you for it. You know, your heart will thank you for it. Your lungs, the circulation in your body. You get that blood pumping faster from working your heart. You're going to feel better. You don't have to do a lot. Go on a track, a rubber track, like I did I did five 100-meter sprints. Now, you don't have to run as fast as I do, because I've been doing it a long time. But you don't have to try to break the record, 9.58. But just don't go around the... Get the curve. I don't allow rotation of the knees when you go around the curves, in my opinion. That's what I've read in the Internet. The research I've done shows that the curves aren't necessarily good for you. So you don't you can go and do your own thing. I call it the straightaway workout. And why the rubber track, you might ask. Believe me, my friends, I've been through it. Inside, out, up and down, round and round. I've tried everything, pavement, concrete, dirt. Trails. Now, grass, grass and dirt, you might think, oh, well, they're natural. And I was of that frame of mind, too, once upon a time. But I've since 
learn because learning is a slow process. You know, that realization of what works best for your body, what doesn't work, you know, the little aches and pains that you experience, the popping of the joints, waking up in the morning and feeling different, that all factors into what you decide on what works best and what doesn't. And me being almost seven years old and having been running since actively 1982 when I first joined the Army, even before that, running here and there, you know, playing football, baseball. Also, I took a course in cross-country running in junior college. So, well, you have to, you have to do 100 yards, but probably better to do 100. That's my recommendation for anybody. Lose weight, I think, or at least keep your weight steady. I've always been about 150. I can't seem to go up. Well, I do. I can't go up about 170, 170 plus. I've been down as low as 130. Actually, when I was in the Army, I got down to like 120, 118, which is the lowest you can go for your height. That was right when I became a vegan back in 1999. And I was sleeping on my back all the time without a pillow, no pillow. The reason I did that because, for one thing, I donated one of my kidneys to my son back in 1995 when I was on active duty. So I found out I couldn't really sleep on my side that well. And that was one of the so-called things associated with the kidney donation that it took me just a, a while to find out in a couple of few years. And even now, I can't sleep on my side. Why? I, I, because having lost a kidney, I think the body compensates for it, you know. I had my right kidney removed and given to my son. That lasted him 19 years. And he's since got another kidney in 2014. My friend, please take good care of your kidneys. Listen to me, please. I know that you're a co-creator God in the making and you like to do things your own way, and I admire you for that. And that's the way it should be. But listen to my advice. Because I learn from other people and you can learn from me. Cherish your kidneys. People that have diabetes or kidney disease. Very unfortunate, you know, there's nothing like a real kidney that works. They're miracle organs. They're amazing. What they do, don't take it for granted. Please. You can treat yourself, but you know, every once in a while indulge in something that you like, something that maybe you know you shouldn't be eating, something with a little bit too much sugar, a little bit too much fat. And every once in a while, it's okay. Everything in moderation, right? But take good care of your kidneys because you'll need them later on when you get old. Realize that you are going to get old if you survive, you know, God willing. Not all of us do. You know that. Some people live to be a ripe old age, 90, 100 years old. There's a woman that I know... In my Toastmasters clubs, I'm a member of three Toastmasters clubs. Her mother is 102. She comes to the meeting sometimes, or she'll go to the IHOP restaurant where we have our Toastmasters meeting, and God bless her. God bless her, please, because she's an amazing woman. Japanese, you know, she was in the Japanese internment camp in World War II here in the United States. She's 102, and she's still goes and eats and talks, you know, and amazing. 102. I can only hope, you know, that I can get to be that old. God willing, you know. So now I can see a little bit of the sunshine, but the sun has set, and the clouds up above are shining with the light of the setting sun. The temperature here in San Antonio is approximately 65 to 70 degrees. Anyway, what was I saying about the kidneys? Please take good care of your kidneys. Me, I found that after the kidney donation, it was natural for me to gravitate to a more, let me say, a more easy-to-digest diet. That's why I became a vegan. Vegetarian first, March 29th, 
29th. I can still remember the date. Until September the 29th, about six months later, when I became pure vegan. Even though now I'll eat some food that's got a little bit of dairy and egg in it, you know, but I won't eat like pure food with entirely cheese or milk or eggs, you know, pure eggs, a whole egg, you know, just some food with a little bit of dairy or egg in it. So I guess you could say I'm like 99.9% or 99.8% vegan since 1995, nine. So it's going on 25 years this year, this September. And that was because I donated one of my kidneys. But more than that, I was on a healthy kick. You know, I decided... I was into some pretty heavy running when in the Army at the Presidio Monterrey Language School. They have all these different Army companies, and we used to compete every month in the Commander's Cup, a two-mile run, 12 guys, and girls, too. I had this one female runner. She was an excellent runner. And everybody could run under 12 minutes, two miles. You know, that's pretty hard to do. A six-minute mile is not an easy thing to run, you know. I would say maybe only 10% of the people in the Army could run that fast back then. And so I wanted to stay on that healthy kick. And I didn't always treat myself right. You know, I won't go into all the details, you know what I'm saying. Some things are better left unsaid, you know what I'm saying. But suffice it to say that I thought that a vegan diet would be best for me. And it has turned out to be pretty good because why? Number one reason is you have better digestion. Now, I don't mean to get personal here, but, you know, to be honest with you, I have hardly ever been constipated. Before that, I was constipated a lot. Pretty touchy subject, you know, but... You know, I'm a real person. I'm alive. And I can talk to you about things, right? We're intelligent human beings, are we not? And can talk about any subject, right? We're not inhibited. We want to throw away those inhibitions. You know, just imagine if you're walking down the street, we're all walking down the street together, naked without any clothes on. Wouldn't that be a trip? But we're in a society, you have to admit it, it's true, right? Where we're inhibited. We have all these inhibitions. You can do this, but you can't do that. You can say this, but you can't say that. The norms of like that song by Rush called Subdivisions. They say, in the high school hall, in the shopping mall, conform or be cast out in the backs of cars, in the restaurant bars, conform or be cast out. Inhibitions, my friends. Anyway, back to being vegan. So, you know, some people might say, oh, I'll never give up eating my meat. That's okay. I won't judge you. I used to eat everything up until I was 44 years old. 44. I'm now 69. I'll be 70 in August. And it's been quite an experience. I wouldn't change it. If I could go back in time, I would still do the same thing. Now, I enjoy watching my mom, my wife. I enjoy watching my wife eat everything because it's almost like my mother used to do that. She was deathly allergic to eggs, but she said she used to love watching my dad eat all these desserts like donuts and cake and pie. And that's how I used to eat everything. I used to visit them before they both passed away 10 days within each other, dad first, and then mom 10 days later. It was great to go visit them. I missed them, you know, my parents. They were my best friends. They were my best friends. Your parents are your best friends, my friends. Out there, listening audience, respect your parents, please. Because once they pass away, then you're truly on your own and totally responsible for your actions. Before your parents pass away, in my opinion, you're not responsible for all your actions, especially when you're young. You know, you make mistakes like I did when I was young, that maybe that was the way they were meant to be. But 
say you're 17 years old and, and you make a mistake, whatever, sexual immorality, maybe indulging in some, some beast, if you know what I mean, but you're 17, you know, are you really responsible for your actions at that time? You're gullible at that age, right? People talk you to doing things. I won't go into the details because some things are better left unsaid, but you get the drift of what I'm saying. When your parents are alive, you're not totally responsible for your actions. You're under their influence. I'm not talking about under the influence of alcohol. I'm talking about under the influence of your parents. That makes sense? Yes, no, some people agree, some people disagree. Well, you're entitled to your opinion, just like I'm entitled to mine. Anyway, and I gave up drinking alcohol in 1988. So how long has that been? 12 plus 24, 36 years now. I've been alcohol-free. They were drinking alcohol. The meeting I went to, I told you, right? And I don't judge them because I was there, you know. Same thing with smoking at one time. I used to smoke. My parents smoked all the way up until they passed away at 81. But you know what happens when you take that smoke in your lungs, right? You're making your lungs black. But then again, you have free will. Who am I to take away that free will? I'm just saying, you know, I can understand it's an enjoyable thing, and you get high from it, too. It was once upon a time when I liked catching a buzz. You know, that's kind of a neat thing, you know, a little change in one's reality, you know, perspective. It's not like this world is like hard, meant to be hard. But after a hard day at work, maybe, or, you know, the boss man on your case, and maybe you broke up with your girlfriend, and maybe you don't have enough money, and sometimes it's cool to take a drag of that cigarette, and all your worries disappear, and you take a drink of that whiskey, and your worries disappear. Uh, but then, you know, in the long run, it might get to you. But some people don't worry about the long run. They're only concerned about the right here and now. But regardless, my friends, if you do that, if that's you, I still love you, okay? Don't worry about it. You know, if that's what you want to do, if God it's okay with God, God give you free will, right? The creator, the universe, you know, he's out there. God, the creative universe, you know, let me describe God to you, okay? The creative universe. Are you ready? I'm going to take a drink of water. good water. Aquafina, that's good water. God, the creative universe, is like a huge energy field that goes around, traveling around the universe. Very, very large, large, large in size. You think a galaxy is large, you know, like 100,000 light years across? And the creative universe, I think, in my own opinion, is able to Increase and decrease its size. How about that? Does that sound logical? It can increase its size to whatever. It's shape-shifting, right? It's like the aurora borealis, an energy field cracking with electricity, an electrical energy field. But it's actually a being. The creative universe is actually a being. Not a he, not a she, not an it, but a actual, an actual entity that is omniscient, knows everything, you know. You meet God, you go up to say, you leave your body, you go up to outer space, you find yourself in eternity, you go through that veil, you know, between the physical world and the spiritual world, the spiritual realm, and you find yourself in that outer space with stars all around and you start a conversation up with the creator who might come all of a sudden right there in your face, so to speak, you know. And you say, oh, my God, you're the creator of the universe. I am the creator of the universe. You're right back telepathically, right? Because once you leave your body, then you can start speaking with your physical mouth and larynx, you know, making words. It's all telepathic. And then you might say, oh, my God, you know everything. And immediately you hear back telepathically, I know everything. And then God might say to you, I even know how many grains of sand are on the beach in New Zealand. 
and you, you might be whisked down immediately to that beach in New Zealand, and automatically, instantly, you would know how many grains of sand are on that beach. And God might say, I even know how many hairs you have on your head. Oh, my God. How do you... Oh. And then don't swear in front of God. Don't say, like, S-H-I-T. It's be, oh, my God. I'm sorry. And say it again. Oh, my I just swore in front of God. I can't believe it, you know. And God is cool. You know, God... Let me say that again. God, the creator of the universe, is cool. You'll never find a more cooler, more friendly, loving entity than God. And, and he'll make you feel, he, she, I say he, because it's a pronoun, more relaxed in his presence than ever you felt before, you know. And you won't want to leave his presence because God is so cool. You might say, like, say you've, um, you drowned, right? Hypothetical situation. You drowned, and you're going to come back. He's going to put you back in your body. But first, you're having this conversation with God, and you're learning some things about the universe and about yourself and about the nature of human beings and why you're here on planet Earth and the evolution of the soul and being reincarnated in other planets around the universe. And so then... It's getting that time where you need to go back to your body, right? Because you've already been dead for a few minutes and you're underneath the water and you're drowned. You've got water in your lungs. And, and God might say, okay, so, um, Doug, what do you want to do now? Well, Blake, what do you want to do now? You know, it's up to you. Well, I'll stay with you, but you know what? Sorry. Uh, if you do, guess what? This is what's going to happen with your children. You're going to leave them alone. They'll be okay eventually, but at first it's going to be hard for them living by themselves without you. Maybe you should go back. There might be another being there, like maybe, I don't know, Jesus possibly or an angel saying, let me show you what your life would look like if you stay here and you don't go back. And then you make a decision after you see that because you realize it's going to be hard. It'll change a lot of things, you know. Whereas you would have influenced their lives in a positive way. Now, without you, their mission plans are going to be changed, you know, because we all come here with missions. And the object of our lives, really, besides developing ourselves spiritually, is to accomplish our mission. I'm going to take a drink of water. Ask good water. And when we transition to the afterlife, after this, that's scary. I mean, I, I scare myself about it sometimes. You don't want to talk about certain things, you know. People just want to live their lives, raise their children, work their jobs, make their money, eat their food, go to bed, wake up and do it again. But you know what? We're here to develop ourselves spiritually, to evolve our souls. So we're given a mission when we come here. Now, your graduation from this, this existence and your ascension into a higher level of spiritual development depends on whether or not you accomplish that mission or how close you come to accomplishing it. So maybe, let's say, as you stood in front of the Father God or the Mother God, depending on whether or not you're predominantly a more male or female spirit inside your body, God could say to you before you were born, before you were born, before you were born, in the pre-existence, in the pre-existence, okay, Blake, I'd like you to come to planet Earth. This is your mission. You're going to help stop war, and you're going to make help make contact with extraterrestrials, among other things, you know, other small missions. Bring kindness and love into the world. Perform random acts of, random acts of kindness, you know. Did I just see a bat? If you see a bat flying around in the twilight, it usually means that 
spring is here. Am I right or am I right? I thought I just saw a bat. Here it is, February the 10th. You don't see a bat flying around up in North Dakota or South Dakota, you know what I mean, in February. So I like being here in Texas, my friend. The climate is A-OK with me. How am I doing on time? 33, 38. Anyway, so a is paramount to our graduation from this existence with honors. And then, how do I know this? Because I've learned it from other people, books that I've read. If you want to read a really cool book, read The Soul's Remembrance by Roy Mills. Or read a book called Embraced by the Light by Betty Eady. I've read so many books. Now I don't read too many books because when I wrote my own book called The Great Brain and the Golden Soul, it's available in the Anthony Kim Bookstore for free. It's got 80 pages, chock-a-block full of spirituality that I've learned from other people put together in this book in accordance with my reality system, sometimes I had to connect the dots with my own opinions, you know, in regards to some subjects. But I think I've come pretty close to putting it all together. In fact, I have my own theory of everything, like even Hawking, maybe. You want to hear my theory of everything? It might blow you away. I don't know if you're ready for it. Are you? Because I might not be, according to some people up there, with... Einstein and Stephen Hawking, but it all depends on if you're gauging my knowledge of physics or spirituality. I think when it comes to spirituality, I'm in the top 1% around the world. You know, that's a pretty accurate guess, I believe. Anyway, my theory of everything is this. The universe was created approximately 15 billion years ago. You know that, right? The Big Bang. The physical universe, that's what I'm talking about. In the beginning, there was nothing. Darkness and silence and a spirit. The spirit. The spirit is infinitely powerful and omniscient. Can you believe that? Can you comprehend that? It's hard to comprehend, isn't it? So why did the spirit create the physical universe? And all the sentient beings that are out there on other planets, on other galaxies, on other galaxies, why did the spirit do that? A very simple word, my friends, something that you know about very much. It starts with G. G-R-O-T-H. Growth. That's it, simply put. You and me, we were babies once, right? You remember when we were babies? I remember when I was two years old. And then we grow from babies to where we are today. And then we get older, get more wrinkles on our faces. All these lines in my face getting clearer. The path on it went by like the Yeah, wrinkles, you know, what it's like to get old, you know. You've seen people in your life that are older, you know. That growth all contributes to the growth of the universe, my friends. The universe is growing and expanding your lives. Everything that you experience, the growth that you achieve, is assimilated into the ocean of the creator's spirit like a drop of water, achieving, enabling, assimilating that growth. So my theory of everything is how did, let me start by this, let me, let me continue on with this, how did the creator 
initiate the Big Bang by the power of his, her will. But to better describe it in words that you might understand or to describe it in a way that you might understand better, through words, like the Bible says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and everything was created with the word. Well, yes, that was true for the world, but also the universe. Now, what is behind words, thoughts? The universe is a giant, intelligent thought, my friends. And matter is formed by, you've heard of the super string theory, right? Little rhythms of energy, strands of energy, vibrating at different frequencies that attract each other, you know, positive, attract positive. And when you have all the... together and matter begins to form the actual ribbons of energy those strands of energy are nothing more at their inception than a powerful thought so the theory of everything is it's like it says in the bible and god said let there be light and there was light you and i our co-creator God's in the making, we have the potential to learn how to use our words to create. And when words are put into motion, energy, those web ribbons and strands of vibrating strings of energy, like the super string theory says, they begin to form matter. Planets can be formed, trees what have you, anything that's made of matter begins to form. But at their inception, powerful thinking. And so whether it's the sun or the fire or water or all the different elements on the atomic chart, each one could be described in a certain way, it can be explained, and if if explained sufficiently, like Einstein said, if you really know something, you should be able to explain it thoroughly, in and out. You should be able to explain it. And therefore, explaining all these elements and wind and fire and earth, and it's nothing more than putting into words what they are. And that's how the universe was created. That's my theory of everything. Now, if I had someone to talk with and maybe go into a little more detail, I, I could maybe piece it together in, in a way. That's my where I'm at right now, and I've been thinking about it for quite a few years now. How about you? Have you ever thought about the theory of everything? It's in my book, so if you're interested in reading about it some more, and there are 30 chapters that are great reading, you know, minus a few typographical errors because I was in a hurry to create the book. And Amazon said they'd do it for me. I gave them the manuscript and they wished it was really, really proofreading it properly. Partly my fault, I guess. Anyway, nothing to be afraid of, though, right? Enjoy the ride, my friends. You'll go to bed tonight, wake up tomorrow in the morning, and you'll feel refreshed. And Don't worry about anything, man. It's okay. You know, there's a new movie coming out called One Love, Bob Marley, right? And I want to see that movie. It's next week, I think, Valentine's Day. Can you speak Jamaican, man? I can, too. Irie. You know, everything's going to be all right, man, okay? Don't worry. I can tell you worrying out there. All right, you're smart enough to keep growing intellectually. Yeah, it's going to be all right. So go see that movie, One Love. And what does that mean? It means we're all interconnected. You know, we're all human beings. We shouldn't be killing each other for one thing, okay, man? You know, 
over there in different parts of the world, uh, you know, you can hear the, the rockets exploding and the tanks shooting their rounds and machine gun fire and people screaming, being hit with bullets and explosions blowing people up and dying, people dying because of war and fighting and killing. And for what reason? What reason? Because they disagree on some, some things, you know? They can't discuss it peacefully, you know? Can't come to a compromise with some things. Taking a drink of water. Ah, that's good water. And so the world continues spinning, you know, this is a beautiful, amazing situation we're a part of, you know, half a day of light, half a day of darkness. It's like that song, It's a Wonderful World. I see skies of blue and clouds of white, the bright, blessed day, the dark, sacred night. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Indeed it is. You think about all the life here, over a million toxic insects. Now just hold on a second. Think about that. Over a million types of insects, little creatures with eyes and wings, some of them with metabolisms capable of reproducing eating food, going where they want to, knowing what they need to do, little defense mechanisms to protect them from predators, over a million types of insects, over 30,000 types of fish in the ocean seas, rivers and lakes, ocean seas, rivers and lakes, it sounds like lions, tigers and bears, ocean seas, rivers and lakes, and all different shapes and sizes, all with eyes, most of them have eyes, you know. And insects, too. They all have eyes that can see. Can you imagine, like, a, like an ant, for example, all mankind in its greatest technological splendor, all the wonderful achievements we've been able to accomplish over the last 150 years in this industrial revolution, cell phones that c connect to... Japan, my stepdaughter lives in Japan. We FaceTime her all the time. Airplanes that fly across the world at 506 miles an hour. We can send a spaceship to the moon, to Mars, to one of Saturn's moons, Titan, you know. Send a probe down on the surface, all this incredible technology. But are we able to create just a simple ant with eyes and legs, with a mind of its own that can go and collect food and take it back to its little ant hill and, and communicate and socialize with all the other ants and the, the queen ant that produces more ants. Isn't God amazing? I mean, the creative universe thought of all this in the beginning, envisioned everything, the world, all the life, everything down to the smallest pebble, and then by the power of his or her will initiated that big bang when the physical universe began forming itself, one solar system after another, until enough solar systems formed, the galaxy began to form, one solar system after another. And here we are, many, many billions of years down the road after that, in the Milky Way galaxy in a spiral arm, which is relatively new, you know, our galaxy compared to other galaxies is new, relatively speaking. Going back to what I was saying with all the fish and the whales and the sharks and the eels and different kinds of fish, different colors, different shapes and sizes, beautiful, beautiful fish, 30,000 different types, over 10,000 types of birds, different colored feathers and colored beaks and eyes and sizes and shapes and over 10,000 types of reptiles, snakes of different shapes and sizes and colors, and 8,000, 9,000 types of amphibians, salamanders and geckos, and that kind of creature, and over 5,000 types of mammals here on planet Earth. Is this not a wonderful world? 
to have all that life. It's the jewel of the universe, my friends. And we need to take better care of it, right? Because we're taking that oil out from underneath the surface of the earth, which has a purpose of helping the tectonic plates to shift around. And I think there are some beings out there that are helping us, you know, so we don't destroy ourselves and our planet, you know. One has to ask oneself, are we beyond the point of no return when it comes to keeping our planet alive? You know, it's a scary thing. And we need to transition to electric vehicles or hydrogen-powered vehicles or some kind of alternate energy source besides fossil fuels, you know, which is big money. You understand that, right? That's why we're still relying on fossil fuels because the economy of the world would be destroyed if all of a sudden we stopped using oil and fossil fuels. But in the meantime, we're polluting the atmosphere, right? You go to some cities like Beijing, L.A., Mexico City, the smog in the atmosphere is so thick that they have the alert, don't go out today because the air is too difficult to breathe. It's not good for you to breathe that air. So, and I am guilty just like the next person, as guilty as anyone else for driving my four-cylinder car around and spewing carbon monoxide into the atmosphere. Well, maybe in the future, not too near, well, not, let me rephrase that, in the not-too-distant future, hopefully I can get an electric vehicle. But in the meantime, I'll focus on the Camry, a good car, and it gets about 27 miles per gallon. And we need to save our world, my friends. Climate change is real. I mean, the evidence is right in front of us. The flooding, the wildfires, the extra powerful hurricanes. You know, it's logical. Some people, they ignore the evidence because they don't want to hear it. They can be stubborn. You know that. People can be stubborn. That is one of the traits of a co-creator. God, you have to be stubborn and believe in doing things your own way. And I understand that. I do. Because free will plays into that, too. But that would be good debate. You know, we should have more debates on television, don't you think? Aren't they interesting? Aren't they exciting? They can get down to really real excitement. They should have more debates on television. That would be primetime entertainment, my friends. And let them go at them. Let them go at it. Give them a lot of free reign, like when Mr. Trump and Mr. Biden were debating, and these narrators, they always seem to ruin it. You know, they just when they start getting really interesting, talking about some stuff, you know, putting each other on the spot, and they stop them and change the subject. Oh, my God defeats the purpose of having a debate in the first place. But that is primetime entertainment, my friends. And we should have more of it. They should have a show, a debating show, and putting it out there. The uh, the people that make these shows on the network have... It would be good. I'm telling you, I think so. How am I doing on time? I think I'm going to be have to wrap up here shortly. So let me get back to the creator of the universe. Remember, the creator of the universe had a plan, besides creating solar systems, to have someone in charge of the solar system, co-creator gods, male and female, the king and queen, if you will, of solar systems. And where do they live? In a world that's on fire, because when we're in that when we're co-creator gods in spirit, we are pure spirits. And spirits emit light energy. And that is some pretty secret stuff to tell you that. You know, it's taboo kind of. People don't want to hear it. You have to be sufficiently developed spiritually to 
be able to listen and and take it in and comprehend it, you know, that the spirit that pops out of your body when you die is made of light energy. And it gravitates to the source of light energy in the solar system that you live in, that you exist in. Does it make sense? Some people go beneath the surface of the earth to another kind of fire that's in the center of the earth where there's lava and fire because our planet has a molten iron core and it's on fire on the inside. That makes sense. It's true. So our spirits can live in that fire down there, which is also where people go uh, who do some bad things and have to be punished, right? Because you make a mistake, you have to be punished. That's the law of the universe. You know, you have to pay the penalty if you make a mistake. So you could be put down into God's jail, otherwise known as hell. So one minute, my friend. So here's a prayer. Don't forget to say your prayers. Say your prayers, okay? You're a prayer warrior. I know you are. Don't be afraid to say your prayers. Don't worry about what other people think. It's a hard thing, right? Not to worry about what people think. Creator of the universe, you are awesome. We love you. Please help us to survive. Bless us all, everybody. Help us to keep our planet alive. Help us, please, God. Help us in our evolution. Thank you for everything, God, creator of the universe. All right, goodbye, everybody. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.